today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Look, you and I are not so different. Uh, I spend a lot of time commuting, whether it is in a car, maybe you're in a train, maybe you are on a bicycle and listening to headphones, which seems unsafe, but people do it. Uh, what I listen to when I'm in the car, besides this podcast, uh, is audiobooks. Audiobooks are the best, and Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. It's a consumer service that allows users to choose the audio versions of their favorite books with a library of over 150,000 titles. Users can purchase individual books, or, for real savings, can sign up for an Audible listener program which gives them book credits each month for a low monthly fee. Fee. That's what I do. Um, I recommend, well, let me tell you this. Customers download their choices and can access them on their PC, burn them onto CDs, or upload them to iPods and other MP3 devices. I put it on my iPhone. I listen in the car. Uh, It's quick, easy, fun, and affordable entertainment for people of all ages. Um, I recommend the book Proof by our friend and uh, podcast guest, Adam Rogers, Wired Magazine's editor, uh, Adam Rogers. Proof the the Science of Booze is an awesome spirited narrative on the fascinating art and science of alcohol. Um, I don't know, maybe this ad is going on the episode that I did with Adam, but he gives a nice chat about the book, uh, which is super accessible. You don't have to be a science nerd to enjoy it. You don't have to be a booze nerd to enjoy it but you will become one uh, after listening to the book from Audible. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. With over 150,000 titles in virtually every genre, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook, and again, I recommend you make Proof by Adam Rogers, that free audiobook. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash nerdistwriters. That's Audible Podcast, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com slash nerdistwriters. One word, N-E-R-D-I-S-T-W-R-I-T-E-R-S. Free audiobook, 30-day trial, audiblepodcast.com slash nerdistwriters, and we thank them for their patronage. Now entering nerdist.com. Today's podcast was recorded at ATX Television Festival Season 3. Were you there? You should have been. It was a fantastic time, as it always is, Uh, although in this third season, it was even bigger and better than it's been before. Uh, It was just unbelievably fun, uh, and I urge all of you to come on out. They already have the 2015 dates booked, June 4th through 7th. Be there. I will be, for sure. They can't keep me away. Uh, there were all there was all kinds of amazing programming, and we're going to give you a taste of what they had to offer over the next few months, um, including panels that had Noah Hawley from Fargo, Carlton Cuse, uh, the folks behind Justified, and lots more. So I hope you guys enjoy all of these panels from ATX Television Festival. Go to atxfestival.com for more information about next year's fest. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Here's another double feature from ATX. I sat down with Graham Manson and John Fawcett, the creators of Orphan Black and a writer and director, respectively. 
and the, the guys were good enough to talk about how the show came to be and how they keep it going and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, following that, you will hear a Q&A that followed a screening of the second season's eighth episode, Variable and Full of Perturbation, which is moderated by Variety's Laura Prudhomme, uh, and that followed the screening. So uh, I'm told that the sound is a little wonky in that. It might cut in and out. Um, we did the best we could to fix it, but this is what happens sometimes. But uh, I know you guys are Orphan Black fans, so I wanted to make sure you could hear everything that Graham and John did. Uh, they were really cool and had some fun things to say, so please enjoy. Um, well, I'm really curious about... This is it. This, we just started. I'm really curious about... Um, the development process for Canadian television specifically. Uh, and this is something that gets asked to us a lot. But is it a similar development process that we have here where, you know, you pitch and you're selling and then it can take, you know, for anywhere from weeks to months to years to develop the pilot and put it on the air and then the pilot pickup process? Or is it a more streamlined thing like the English, uh, like the BBC process? I don't know if it's any more streamlined, but um, we definitely don't have a piloting system mm-hmm. as in the States. No. Generally, with fewer networks, fewer uh, um, places to go to, fewer shows being made, n- n- there's not the deep resources among the networks to make a bunch of shows and see which one's best. Yeah. So the eggs go into a few baskets. Mm-hmm. makes it really hard for writers because there's only a few eggs that get um, put in those baskets every year. So um, I think as writers and and, and directors, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, this is, this is our first show that we've got as creators Mm -hmm. and we're deep into um, our, our careers because we work on, we, you know, every, we're all developing shows and want to do our own stuff Getting them off the ground is difficult, so we work as jack of all trades. We work in all genres. We write in all genres. Done. John, as a director, has done more cop shows, and same with me and cops and yeah. legal. We've done done all the network stuff as staff writers. As staff writers, yeah, yeah. or gigging directors, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and then, but there is, uh, you know, there's more. Um, there's more. Uh, more grants and provincial money and mm-hmm. things like that for writers to access in Canada, I think, to um, to seed money for your own, to, to buy your time so you can create new material, new original material. Sure. And it's not tons of money, but it's enough to, enough money to take a month to write something. Right. And then you try and get that out there. And if you then get that made, you got to pay that money back. Right. How is that accessed? Is it like a, a grant system where you have to write up the, so like there's a buy for There's like a, a bunch of different types of funds and grants. Some are federal, some are provincial, mm-hmm. some are private. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So it is like as if you are your own nonprofit or something applying for these things. Yeah. So you, you have to have some kind of track record. Uh, different uh, different grants have different levels of experience necessary, and you apply. You know, you 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 apply with pitch or documents or plans. Some of them, some of them are for further down the road. They're mm-hmm. for like financing to actually take it out and market it and try and get it made. Some mm-hmm. of it is at the very beginning of the process. For writers, but even those funds are hard to access, and it's competitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. We're, we're also we're not, um, you know, we're that 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 was kind of um, challenging for Graham and I too because we're, 
I mean, I, I, I it was some. It was a part of the part of it that I really knew very little about. Mm-hmm. And so we were fortunate that we hooked up with our producing partners at Temple Street. I mean, that really is kind of their forte is 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 finding you know the connections and putting together financing and and um, and really working hard to get this show made you know we're we're just really fortunate because I, I feel a lot of the time I, I don't feel I feel like I um, I'm I'm good creatively, but totally useless in that end of things. You well, know? That, that's the trick, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing we face in the studio system in, in Hollywood TV is like, you know, we can do the writing, but pitching and selling is a whole other muscle, and it's often anathema to what a writer does. It's, I think. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the other important part of the development of Orphan Black is that when John and I had been working on it, you know the concept of it and trying to figure out what it was for a long time since 2001 Um, and we had tried to make the show uh, we tried to our original idea was that it was a feature film and we could never wrap that feature film up yeah, uh, we can never get to our answer in a couple hours. Well, we were both. We wanted to make feature films. I mm-hmm. mean, that was the in in you know that in that time period. You know, that's that that was the goal. And um, but you're right. It was just we could not. We loved the concept. We couldn't shelve the concept, but we also couldn't come up with a, a satisfying answer for it, not in a two-and-a-half-hour format. So what was the core? What was the kernel that attracted you guys to this story, and, and how did it start to evolve as a feature? John pitched me the opening scene. Really? Yeah. And where, where did that come from? Was this a uh, fever dream? What happened to you? I don't know. It was just like, it was just a, a really... We were looking for stuff to work on. We were looking mm-hmm. for a high concept genre thing that we could sink our teeth into. Yeah. Okay. Is it, that is that something that you guys are into? Is this, you know, stuff that you would like to watch and read? And yeah. yeah. Graham, Graham, had, Graham had written Cube and I mm-hmm. directed Ginger Snaps and... Oh. and um, and so we, and then we wound up working together. We'd known each other for a bunch of years, and we're buddies. But um, we worked together. You know, I had this little TV movie that um, that I I was going to direct, and it needed a, a rewrite. And Graham came in. I asked Graham to come in and do. We did like this insane three-week page one rewrite while we were in prep, I think. God. And then we shot it, and, and at the end of it, we were like, oh, this worked out really good. Let's, let's do something together. And so we kind of got together and started to talk about what kind of movie we wanted to make. And, and um, I, I don't remember where... where I, I remember at the time, I remember I was seeing films like Memento, mm-hmm. and, uh, and which was a very, like... Like I like the the thing about that film is I really like this this sort of feeling of active watching, mm-hmm. where you're constantly like scrutinizing every detail of it, trying to figure out what this what the mystery was. And you're following it through the main character's eyes. And you're eyes. following it through the main character's eyes. And that was I think kind of that was certainly a big inspiration in the very beginning in terms of coming you know coming up with the idea of this. Of how we were going to open our show, mm-hmm. and then, you know, so we had these two girls looking at each other. I think in the beginning it was across the tracks mm-hmm. rather than on the same plot because it was a subway. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we didn't it, together. We came up with the idea of clones, and I think that was the first thing we came up really? with. And then we went, "That's dumb." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you know, clones. Clones don't work. 
clones. Um, when was the last time you saw that done well? <laughs> Never. Yeah. Uh, and so we tr- we thought of every other permutation that that could possibly be, and ended up coming back to clones. And what were some of the wrong roads you went down? Uh, well, it could twins. be twins, or mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea of a parallel universe. Uh, mm-hmm. I hate that. <laughs> like, you're looking like, maybe you're like looking at, you know, it's, a, it's some sort of weird, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's lots of that. I don't know, alien. There's some alien something, right. you know, running around. I don't know. Come up with all sorts of crazy shit, and then you come back to clones. And the thing, the thing that was exciting for us, I think, was... The thing we got all charged up about was the idea that one actor was going to play a whole bunch of different parts, mm-hmm. and that was terrifying. But also, like, was the thing that we just kept coming back to over and over. These these diverse characters that we wanted to create in this mystery of like uh, of how many how many of us are there, mm-hmm. and seeing it through Sarah's eyes, and and um, and being kind of caught in this thing where she was forced to play another uh, another. She was living inside this, the the world of another character, someone she didn't know, mm-hmm. and was being forced to kind of, kind of twist and turn and maneuver and 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 then meeting more of them. It, that was a really kind of dynamic way to begin the story. And kind of, really, that opening scene on the tracks uh, was how how we pitched the whole concept. That was really, really like here's here's here's, here's and you just tell that that opening scene and then. A little bit more after that, and that's it. Would get people. That's kind of how we sold it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that hooks them in. Yeah. Um, but as a feature, we could never, we could never get there, so we just shelved it. Mm-hmm. What and was the central mystery, of, or so the central question of that feature? I think it was generally the same. It's always been, "Who am I?" Okay. Um, and then, uh, but we we just had to shelve it for a few years, and then in that time, we. Started seeing Six Feet Under and The Sopranos and hmm. and uh, and completely and changed. Ca- yeah, cable television, the landscape changed. Lost, so, lost, sure. and we were like, "This is where we can tell the story. If we can't finish it, um, you know, in two hours." <laughs> um, and then, uh, then a real big break for the project occurred when uh, we we're both. Um, uh, alumni of the Canadian Film Center mm-hmm. and the Canadian Film Center I was out of work and the Canadian Film Center contacted me to see if I wanted to um, be a, a guest instructor in the television and uh, television writing program and the component of the television writing program is the senior writer comes in as the as a showrunner acts as a showrunner right. brings in their own concept works with seven, six, seven, eight, nine students, yeah. writing students, in developing a show. So you spend a couple, three months developing a show with a bunch of writers. You're getting a free writer's room. Basically. You're getting a free, <laughs> yeah. a free writer's room. Yeah, it was um, amazing. And, you know, you, the way they get people is, you, you, when you leave, you own that material. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a great experience for the writers. We have one writer in the room who's been in the room ever since that room. Wow. Six years ago. That's yeah. um, oh, cool. And uh, uh, Alex, so, Alex Levine. Yeah, and when we, so when we, when I had the pilot written, then we had, you know, the the, the students had written some scripts too. The the season, as once we were making the show, it, it changed. Dra- sure. I mean, a lot of the signposts were the same, but it changed drastically. But we had that pilot, yeah. and that pilot is what we we went to Temple Street with, and mm-hmm. then. You know, within not too long, we were pitching it throughout Canada and the states. That's amazing. Yeah, 
Uh, how did the conversations that you guys had, and, and even in that room, how did you start to find the series of this as opposed to the feature or even just the concept? You know, how did you start to realize what 13 episodes could be, what 25 episodes could be? Hmm. Well, I think, I think that we had to... There were things that, that definitely changed as we tried to find vehicles for that. For example, I, I know that in, as, as we kind of shifted gears out of feature film and into, uh, into, into a series, um, Beth being a, a, a detective or a police officer, that appeared as a kind of a way to sort of follow the mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, um, and that, you know, there were things like that that kind of we brought to it to kind of purposely build it as a series rather than a feature film. I mean, we just kind of were endlessly good at, like, developing the mystery and setting things up and then, and then like, okay, what's the big answer? Right. Well, that's the hardest part, right? It is you the can, hardest part. You can part. play out a mystery but what, so and, long. You know, writing-wise, once you start to um, break it into, into uh, a teaser and, mm-hmm. and five acts... That's when you start to get the pace of the show because we love cliffhangers and we're like every act, every act has to punch you in the face. Every every show has to end on a huge cliffhanger and 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 that that helped the for, television format helped de, help deli, helped us delineate the pace mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, in a in a big way that that you know what what might seem like um, uh, a constraint. Is is you know you, oh, you yeah. got to work within it. Having those parameters can often be a huge benefit. Yeah, uh, and I think that's something that like an HBO show doesn't get to do. They get other things. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, they get yeah. more minutes. Exactly. More minutes. More minutes. <laughs> probably a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, did you guys come in as you were kind of putting together the concept for the show when you had the pilot? Did you come in with a plan? Did you did you know where the show was going? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it? A several year plan? Is it a several episode? Like, how do you how do you dole that out? And what were those conversations like? We've always had had the big picture, what the conspiracy is, the answer. Um, it had, we adapt it every year, and it's organic. Mm-hmm. We, but, but because it's television, we can't exactly nail an end. We know the end point, but we can't say when it is. Right. So, you know, I don't want to say we can't really say how many seasons we're working towards um, as many as we can and still be good yeah. and still be good um, but you know we know we know that we need some big answers mm-hmm. in each season and sure. we have a series of really big answers and within episodes and within mm-hmm. episodes you need answers to keep people coming back I mean otherwise people just I, I believe audiences get frustrated if it's just like it's just a mind fuck and we're not getting answers it's it's uh, it's important that we're asking questions and finding new bits of the puzzle but kind of uh, allowing the puzzle to sort of start to go click click mm-hmm. into shape and, yeah. and people to kind of like because it's satisfying when 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 yeah. you get like those little puzzle pieces that come together and, and people start speculating. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that sort of active watching thing that um, that's very addictive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how we wanted the show to be—a kind of a, a very sort of addictive, um, 
you know, little thrill ride that um, just doesn't go in the direction you think it's going to go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess that you're sort of getting to my next question, which is, you know, you do come in with a plan, you know what the solution is, but you're also contending not with movie, with television, so you don't know what the end is. You also don't know, I mean, you guys are lucky you have... <laughs> One actor is playing a lot of your parts, mm. but you know a typical TV show could have actors leave or come in. You know there are the, these variables that I guess you have to contend with. Uh, what is your writing schedule like when you guys start a season? Uh, do you two come in with ideas to the room? Does the room generate ideas? How does th- how do things start to come together for a season? You know, John and I tend to try and go away and isolate ourselves mm-hmm. for you know a week or five days. And um, come up with our big, big ideas and big wants and some flagpoles and mm-hmm. um, and then uh, tent poles. <laughs> the flagpoles are the flagpoles are good flagpoles. too. Yeah, we got a lot of those. Got a lot of the red uh, flagpoles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then we go into the writers' room and we just spiel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, John goes, "See you later." <laughs> That's not entirely true. No. Uh, it, are you going into pre-production? Is that why? Uh, no. For me, uh, I mean, our, I'm a di- more of a director, and Graham's more of a writer, and his his work is um, more front-ended, mm-hmm. uh, running the room, and I'm kind of. It's a little bit better for me. Uh, you know, once we, Graham and I have kind of like mapped out the big ideas and our, the way we kind of see the season going, it's a little better for me to step away anyway so that I can kind of come in and, and have, you know, have the group working on sort of more, the, you know, as they break stories and work on the minutiae, at least I'm kind of coming, I can come in a little bit fresher. This is a fresh eye. And, um, and then be, a li- you know, I, my, my, uh, I can... We also have a little time off, which I'm looking forward to at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, as I'm a direct, you know, he he, te- he tends to be front loaded, and I tend to be back loaded. So I've been kind of in post production and composers and sound mixes and some visual effects and all that sort of stuff, which we just finished. And we like, we just we recently we start we've tended yeah. to start our writers almost three months before prep. That's a great lead. Yeah, that's amazing. How it, big is your room? Uh, it's uh, usually six, including and then um, and myself, so mm-hmm. seven. Good, manageable yeah. size for yeah. how many episodes? Ten. Ten. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, walk me through that a little bit. Uh, so, you guys come in with the the tent poles. You come in with kind of the big ideas. Here's what we'd like to do this season. How does the, how does the conversation go in the room once John takes off? <laughs> um, you talk about him, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, John will be there for those big conversations in the first in the first week, and then and then be ducking in every other day or something for, for in the process. Um, but uh, usually, you know, we will start with um, the big big picture, the season, or the series picture, not the season picture, um, because we have to go back and revisit that and remind ourselves what we're working towards, and and then you find the end point of the season. And a few of the things that you think are really cool, um, ideas and, and tent poles along the way, and work on not just the character journeys, but the character relationships as well, and how those are going to inform the journeys. And those ultimately will inform the plot. 
and then it gets dry, and then we try and figure out what the plot is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know why that is. Because we go, wow, this is really awesome. We've got like seven episodes here, and then you, you know, in the beginning, and then you go, you yeah. go actually, that's only three episodes. For sure. And then you're like, okay, so now we got this other, we got to figure out, you know. Yeah. I, but it does, but in, in, the, in the, the pacing mm-hmm. uh, that we want to achieve, inevitably, we think we've got more material, and then you just end up cramming it all together. Gobbling it up. <laughs> and then also, um, it's really important to the, to the writer's room, we have our science consultant, Kasima Herter, who is the real Kasima. <laughs> Um, and she's been with the project um, from the beginning, ever since John and I had the concept. We started talking about clones. I went to my friend, who's a science genius. <laughs> and um, so she's been involved in the conversation ever since. Mm-hmm. Once, we, once the writers are up to speed and we have a loose season, we bring in Kasima, And she talks not only about the hard science that we're, that we're looking at, um, but um, uh, larger questions of ethics and mm-hmm. themes and why this is important historically, why the, the scientific things that we're working on, how they, where they are. Uh, she's actually a historian of science, so she puts it in context, in social context. Yeah. Um, and it's invaluable for us and in, inevitably juices everyone up because now we're not just trying to push Sarah through this plot we're talking about ideas, mm-hmm. and we're trying to underpin it, the ideas under under it. So, That's great. Yeah. Uh, how much of the show for you guys is about ideas? How much is about character? How much is about theme? How much is about relationships? Where are you getting your particular thrills from writing this specific show? It's a bit of everything. It is. The heavy lifting is the, is the plot and the mystery, and the fun is the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the best point in the writing process is when you leave the plot behind and the characters start to drive the plot. And all of that all of that hard work of trying to break a plot so that it makes sense, it's starting to make sense now organically. And you can not... All the things that you had so much trouble explaining, you're not explaining them anymore because the character is, is, is living it. The character is, is telling the story in yeah, action. Absolutely. Uh, do you remember specific instances when that clicked for you guys in the room? Um, you know, maybe a, a challenge for this season or the first season. Uh, I, a good example is um, is Helena. Mm-hmm. Um, how we loved that character, and John and I loved that character, and John and I knew what we wanted to do with that character. Mm-hmm. We're like, let's let's create a psychopathic killer that we eventually uh, have sympathy for, um, which sounds good on paper, but how how to do it. Yeah. And then, you know, we had the plot and it was all working in the plot, but the, the character still wasn't working. It wasn't working. It didn't have, it didn't have the heart and the, and the connection uh, that it needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we brought in Tatiana to talk about the character. The character, I think, had already appeared when we had this conversation. And she, she, she said that she told us in the writer's room that she approaches the character from a place of love. That, that that's what Helena has been missing more than anything and so that's what those that's what she's actually looking for even if she could never verbalize it herself and that's like a light bulb moment for the writers now we know how to write that character where to start writing that character from that's great yeah, and yeah it's interesting the collaboration with an actor on, on your work I mean these it comes up a lot on these panels that 
the actor is living with this character in a way that the writer is not because mm-hmm. you're living with all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they will often have insights that you guys may not have. It's true, but uh, you know, uh, that is, that's a situation that we are very fortunate to be in. Uh, Graham and I, on our, like, on our, our show that we're, like, we're kind of new showrunners, mm-hmm. um, uh, that we are able to kind of work with the networks and people have kind of embraced this and kind of allowed us pretty pretty free reign to explore but then this other aspect of it is like is is Tatiana and our co- collaboration with her and you know I just know that there are a lot of actors out there in lead roles on big television series that have no say where their character is going they may and that they fight that a lot like I've seen it so often like you can see the the lead actors get very frustrated because they don't get consulted and they they're not part of that process they're just given a script and 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 set and and, and told kind of this is the this is what we're doing and that's not um that's uh that's not uh that is not how we work with Tat mm-hmm. and um as much as she's up for every crazy thing we can kind of throw at her like she's she, she's like she rarely, she'll 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 rarely say no unless it's from a place where she kind of just she really doesn't understand it from a character point of view, mm-hmm. um, or or has other or or is kind of suggesting another path. Like, another have you path. thought about this kind of approach to it? And um, and I and that that collaboration is extremely important to us. And and it's not it's not it's it's different than other shows. Yeah, yeah it sure. just is. Uh, while we're on the subject of collaboration, how do you two work together? Well, it, we listen. The reason why we got together in the first place is because I'm a director and he's a writer, and mm-hmm. we wanted to work as a team and make something. Right? Uh, we're, we're both like, you know, uh, we're both just kind of creative guys, and we wanted to like, uh, you know, I don't know. That's just uh, fortunately our, our our specific skill sets tend to like uh, they complement each mm-hmm. other rather than kind of you know. We're not, you know, what Graham's really good at, I suck at, you know. And what is and, Graham really good at? Well, he's he's a great writer, and mm-hmm. he's, his his talent for dialogue is and for voices is extraordinary. And um, and I think you know, Graham brings a really good sense of structure. Uh, sometimes I'm I'm all over the map, um, and then I I I don't know. For me, I'm just I I have more. Uh, like I like to kind of, you know, I like things visual and, and John. John keeps it cinematic and reminds us constantly that we're telling this visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's the 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 division division of labor is really about um, one person being the outside eye at the beginning of the process as we're developing the developing with the, these talented writers, and then. On the flip side of that, in the post-production process, I'd be lost. Mm-hmm. I'd be lost. That's John's. But that's when forte. You, that's when you're the outside. That's when I. That's when that's I step when back. He steps and back he, and comes in, and he's the fresh look mm-hmm. of things, right? So it's that works well, and and for the most part, our our tastes and aesthetics uh, tend to kind of go to go well together. So mm-hmm. it's you know if there's a, a debate or a kind of a, a, a um, about a direction things going, it's really it's it's about. It's about character and story, and and uh, you know as much as you, I, I want to do 
some idiotic thing like water skiing clones. It doesn't always fit into. It's um, a great it idea. Doesn't, it doesn't always fit into the story, and so sometimes trying to force water skiing clones on a kind of a, a storyline just isn't the best approach. And wait for the moment. Yeah, for water I just think clones. it would be really visual, and I think it would think people would think it was really spectacular. Could they do one of those like Florida stacks where they all stand oh, on top? Of yeah, that. people would like be. They would watch that and they would go. How the fuck did they do that? How are you going to do that, John? I don't know. I want it That's to be part like of the excitement. I want it should be super cheesy rear screen screen projection. No, no, like, no. Like Jerry be, Lewis. No, no, no. It's got to be completely believable. <laughs> got to make it. But believable. That's the thing of the show. Yeah. Like, so it's got to be. You got you to kind of believe it. And, and um, but yeah, that's uh, but that's kind of how we we work as a you know we collaborate on the big on the big picture and 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 uh, I have a different. I just have different things that I bring to it, and I don't, has different things. I don't know how anybody show runs by themselves. Mm-hmm. It's got to be that's that's grueling, you know. John handles. We go to when we're in production, we go. We both go to every production meeting and everything. But John is really handling the incoming directors, and I'm still in the writers' room. Okay. Um, no, it only makes sense. I mean, it's a collaborative medium to start. With. And it only makes sense to divide yeah. those duties. Um, but tell tell me about some of the other rooms you've been on. And what you learned from them, and what you kind of brought with you to run this room. Uh, well, I've, I've I've been in a lot, and the the rooms that work best, or and the rooms, and I'm not not necessarily work best for the end product. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most functional rooms, yeah, are the functional ones. Yeah. Um, I don't think you get anything out of being a tyrant. Um, and I, I, the things I like, I, I like the collaborative process of working in a writer's room, mm-hmm. um, and all the laughs and the frustration that it comes with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you, you know, um, I, and I, and this is a, this is a very, we've worked on a lot of, I've been in a lot of more network shows mm-hmm. and a lot of less cable shows. I've been in rooms on half-hour comedies. I've been in all kinds of different dynamics where you have your bosses, you know, who's the real boss running this running this thing is, is always a, is always a question. Um, so I think we just try to keep it a collaborative room, um, and uh, uh, and extend that to the floor. Mm-hmm. It's also it's also too like that wanting to create an environment where. Um, where where people feel comfortable shooting down our ideas too, mm-hmm. right? It's like that's uh, it's you know you, it, because that is that sort of feeling of collaboration. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is, and I think that that's kind of yeah that winds up on the set as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. And you have to you have to because it's not it's not episodic. We're not doing they're not standalone stories. Mm-hmm. Our writers. Almost certainly for certainly until prep, certainly until we're deeper into it and, and people are writing scripts. Nobody is in their office. The whole day we are all around the table because it's one big story. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, how did you put the room together? Who who is in the room besides this this person who's been there from the beginning, which is astounding to me. <laughs> Alex, it's so great. Um, uh, well, we're. Uh, uh, it's all we're all Canadians. Season, season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, or season two writers. Mm-hmm. Season two writers. Um, 
are. Uh, were they people you had worked with before, or were they? Generally? We made we made no changes. Oh, excuse me. You had one change between season one and two. Um, we're just we, someone had taken another job. Sure. Um, uh, it's nice to have the same group because it, it is a big story. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can, we had a so season two. Season, season two is Alex Levine, Karen Walton, who wrote Two Hundred Eight. Um, Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts, who uh, started out as our f- um, story coordinator for the first season, um, and then and wrote at, episode six this season. Yeah, nice. and as he's 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 great. He tends to be our. He's the guy we turn to when it's like science. What, Chris? Uh, <laughs> you need that guy. Yeah, you need that guy. Um, Aubrey Nealon, uh, Russ Cochran, uh, who's John's worked with a lot. He's a good friend of mine. He runs. He co-show runs Rookie Blue. Uh, or is he is he co-show? Yeah, he's a co-show. Yeah, co-show running yeah. Ricky, Ricky Blue, yep. very experienced guy. Um, uh, Tony Elliott and Tony Elliott. Mm-hmm. And um, I assume for any of these guys with whom you hadn't worked before, you know, you read sample scripts and then had the interview. Was there something that you responded to specifically in those samples? Um, you know, like. Mm, like I don't think we hired any strangers. I don't think oh, we really? did either. Yeah. And that 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 would go for the directors as well. Yeah. We really, uh, you know, it was. I mean, it's the good thing about. I like, didn't. I didn't know Will Pasco. Um, you didn't personally, but I, we knew uh, knew many people. And, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the thing about the show is really to kind of keep the group tight, uh, work with people that we that are that we trust, and uh, and that goes for directors too. I mean, from just being out there and and working, you know, mm-hmm. I know who the who the talented guys are. I know who the ones are that that will that I feel will work best on our show, and and. Is it, you know, and then you just worry, you get to employ your friends, right? Absolutely. <laughs> That's why you want a show, right? Well, kind of, yeah. And, but it's also it's also good for just keeping it like a fa- it's a family, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to that streamlined. Uh, it is. Um, yeah. Is the and it's important that we always have uh, strong female voices in that room. Mm-hmm. It's very sure. it's very important that um, uh, you know you you want to you want the best writers and you want the best writers for the show. Mm-hmm. We need those strong. Um, female voices. Oh, and, and, so, and Car- Karen Walton is well, at, like held down the fort for for the women in that in that second yeah. season, big time, and the first season, it's big right. time. Yeah. yeah. Is the Canadian television community a small one? Is it an intimate one? Smaller, for sure. Yeah, it's smaller, and I, 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 my feeling is it tends to be less competitive or or overtly competitive, um, and that. Uh, and that it it feels like a little. I'm talking about the um, the the writing yeah. community. It, uh, everybody knows it's a tough it's a tough gig to get. It's tough to launch a show. It's tough to get into a room. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it is competitive. But I think people try to be people are 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 decent. To to each other, and it's not very not as as back perhaps as backstabby as it can be in a in a really really hyper competitive Los Angeles scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's small enough that you know if you backstab someone in one room, <laughs> you're going to run into them in the next one. <laughs> and I'd say that is really no different from LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the number one thing to come out of these is guys, be nice, mm-hmm. just be nice. Um, before we wrap up, uh, a question that has come a lot from our Canadian listeners, young writers or would-be writers, want to know how they can break in. 
Mm. You know, what is what is a path that makes sense? You know, I know there's never one way to break in, but do you have any advice for those kids? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, um, write continuously. Um, work with other people. When we got a, you know, it's like st- the the... The, the relationships I made with um, directors and other writers when I was starting out are the same people I'm working with now. So um, foster those relationships. Try and break into a room as a story coordinator. Um, yeah. You know, um, watch a shit ton of TV. <laughs> um, you do and, internalize. And, yeah. The more you write, the more you watch. And the, and sure. there is there is open online communities uh, mm-hmm. at work, and so it's easier to be connected than it used to be. To the to the and and people are willing to give advice. Inc Canada is a terrific um, resource uh, and uh, run by Karen Walton. Do you do you, do you have to write? To get into a room or to, to like, what do you got to do? Do you have to write a spec script? Do you have to write your own pilot? Do you have your own? What do you do? Specs are good. Specs are great. Um, uh, like a spec, like a, a, like a, a episode a, or something. Yeah, a spec. Those are good because they they show uh, that you can get voices and it's uh, that you can um, land on something that exists. You can write someone's show for them. That's important. And that's the job of a that's staff the, writer. That is. But for me, the original material is the most important. Cool. So, uh, you know, a piece of each I, is the thing to show. I, I really look at when I, when I read um, writers or if I'm reading samples or, or even scripts that I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to have to direct, I... I, I <clears throat> But first, you're looking at kind of story or concept if it's a, an original piece. But the thing that I I completely gravitate towards, other than like hoping that there's like some good visual components within the within the story, um, is as I, I is is voices. Honestly, I cannot get through scripts where the dialogue is dry or unimaginative flat or between flat. characters that is like absolutely so critical for me as a director I really like I'll put a script down if I can't deal with the dialogue uh, or if I'm just bored by the dialogue it's uh, that's a that that and that's a really good way for that I determine writers that I like mm-hmm. is is reading is reading characters and, and seeing how they manage different um, there's there's some tricks there for writers too and that's to when you think you're done, go back through and pass each character separately. Don't don't pass each page. Go from track each character, pass that, and then go back and make sure that voice sounds different. The second the the ne- when you go back and you do the next one. And then you know, and then focus and drive and clarity is always is also really important when someone is cold reading your first work. So, who's the main character in the scene? And um, follow that character. The simple, simple trick is like you, you get to a scene. You know, you've got a number of things you need to do to the scene. You're trying to find the one thing that that is the through line of that character. Start the scene with the main character saying the first line, and then they'll end up saying the last line. And somewhere in there, it, it will be the, the scene that has a through line. Uh, let me wrap up as we always wrap wrap up uh, by asking, and this is particularly interesting from you guys. We, I asked the writers 
what are you watching on television? What are you getting excited about? What is uh, what are you talking about with your room? And the answer is always Orphan Black. <laughs> So what are the creators of Orphan Black watching on television? <laughs> we might be ashamed to say. <laughs> oh, um, what are you watching? Uh, I, I'm watching Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown. I'm watching um, Game of Thrones and uh, 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 Rectify. Mm-hmm. And I really liked Ray Donovan. I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching Game of Thrones. I've been watching True Detective. I've been watching Broadchurch. Uh, I've been watching Naked and Afraid. <laughs> yeah, you have episodes. <laughs> Just episode after episode of Naked and Afraid. And Tracker. We like Man Tracker. No, no. I, uh, but there was like you know there was a there was because uh, you know honestly sometimes I'm just like absolutely done with uh, dr- you know television that like I just I, I, and you anything turn on with, things to make your brain shut off anything with G- Guy Fieri eating a cheeseburger I will watch <laughs> thank much for taking the time we appreciate it alright cheers thanks I suppose uh, it was interesting that evening having a conversation with her because we kind of said, you know, we talked about, we knew that we wanted to introduce a new clone this season uh, and there's lots of different ideas and it was interesting that we, we Tatiana and Graham and I had kind of landed on the same idea um, separately. And so that was, uh, and she, she just kind of embraced that kind of fearlessly and, and uh, we kind of charged forward with, uh, with this new character, Tony. Obviously, worked wonderfully, but I mean, obviously, you can't speak for Tatiana. But can you talk a little bit about those conversations and what went into creating Tony's look and mannerisms between the three of you? Uh, well, uh, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, research, but it was it was a fun process because it was super top secret, right? So, you know, we Graham and I would get calls out to the makeup trailer at like strange times and just come out, you know, and, and then you know they'd all be hiding in there. And there'd be, you know, there would be Tony. And so it was kind of this process of, like, you know, and, and Tat would come in on her days off and on the weekend, and, you know, they'd shoot pictures and we'd correct things. And and it was uh, it was fun. It was, But it was like not, the crew didn't know what we were doing. Uh, you know, the crew didn't know what we were doing right up until we had to give scripts out to, to shoot the episode. So it was, uh, and it was interesting that first day on set because it was, it was uh, it was that was the quietest I've ever heard it on set. <laughs> Everyone shock was very, very it was a bit of shock and awe, and it was very, but very like respectful of 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 what Tat was uh, doing, and uh, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was it was a bit of a trip shooting it and uh, and just screening it. That's for sure. You guys liked it, right? <laughs> very good. 
And uh, obviously, it seems like it's a very collaborative process between you guys and Tatiana. Can you talk a little bit about working with her and kind of what she brings, apart from, obviously, what we see, the amazing transformation she has between all these characters? Um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's, it is, it's very collaborative. It's very rewarding, um, not only when we're creating uh, a new clone. And, of course, we, we don't do that lightly. We really want to know these people, and we don't. Don't do a lot of red shirts. Um, uh, so, you know, a lot goes into developing a clone like Tony. But also, as the as the story unfolds, Tatiana, we, you know, we could get stuck in the writer's room and we can go, what about this? And and she'll have an idea of, of character response for these characters that she inhabits so well. And, you know, that... Um, Early in the process, it really started with Helena, where um, as the writers were struggling to get hold of this psychopath that we, we knew we wanted to redeem over the course of season one and make sympathetic, we just weren't sure how. And Tatiana was the one who said, well, Helena is proceeding from a place of love. She just doesn't know how to love. Everybody went, you know, all the writers went, light bulb, okay, now we can write that character. So... It's that kind of thing when you approach Tatiana with character issues that she has this incredible emotional attachment to, uh, and um, knowledge of these characters. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't do us any good to try and do it without her. Uh, let's also talk about uh, Tony and Felix's kiss. Because I know Game of Thrones has made incest trendy, but... <laughs> Obviously, I kind of wanted you guys to go there just for the hell of it, but also I was a little bit, like, squeamish about it. So was that kind of the reaction you had in the writing of it? You kind of wanted to, but also realized that it was a little bit twisted? Well, it's definitely a little bit twisted, and, I, and we have to give credit to Jordan and Tatiana, because they were dying to do that. <laughs> you know, and on one level, for us, it's so strange, because it's like, it's not just that kiss with all its many layers uh, uh, going on. For us, it's just like, Jordan and Dad, they're kissing us. Because it must be like brother and sister kissing, really, at this point. But they were they were all for it. Yeah, it was... Uh, I, I know this was for Jordan. It was definitely... Uh, he was kind of like really excited, but terrified at the same time, you know? Just this... Just mapping his way through this episode... And uh, yeah, we we were all excited on that uh, that day when we knew it was all going to go down, and uh, it turned out pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You guys obviously aren't afraid to push the envelope with stuff like that. Do you ever get kind of pushback from standards and practices? I remember like Helena and the Prolethians and the egg harvesting like was an awful, terrifying sequence, which is kind of the point of it. Do you do you kind of get pushback? Do you get any notes on that kind of thing that you have to? Hmm. We, uh, you know, we're we're fortunate uh, in our uh, our our situation with our, our our two broadcasters, BBC America and Space uh, Network in Canada. Uh, they're they they've just fully embraced this weird, wacky journey that we're going on, and uh, and we always kind of are, you know, we're always a little bit like, I wonder what the broadcaster's going to say about this one. And they, you know, they, they surprise us all the time. They're, they're so into the wild stuff that we throw at them. And, uh, and so is Tat, and so is our, our cast, because we, we, 
we're, we, I mean, we're making this weird show, you know, and uh, and it's even weirder this season, and um, and fun, and uh, no, it's, you know, so far we've been uh, we've we've been uh, we've been really fortunate. I think Graham and I have uh, have uh, really enjoyed our experience, and and no one's really said no to us yet. That um, it it started though in season one with the tail. There. <laughs> And there was a lot of debate about the tail. You guys are going too far with the tail. The tail is and pushing and it, we, really. We, we were like, we're, we want the tail. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, 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 we were allowed to, to do the tail. We, we, had to, uh, we had to edit it. I think maybe the tail sequence did go on a lot longer. Um, but, you know, it... it it worked, and, and everybody was like, wow, that's the edge of the weirdness. And if we could just stay, um, you know, with our toes on the edge, then, then uh, <laughs> we should be okay. On that note, I kind of want to, I think you guys deserve a round of applause for making Orphan Black probably the most progressive show on TV in kind of time. Gender and, and sexuality and just the portrayal of female characters in general, it's, you know... Was that something that you're kind of interested in as artists anyway, or was it just that this story you felt like you had to have all of these viewpoints to be able to tell it properly, or I guess a combination of both? Yeah, it's a it's a bit a bit of, it's a bit of both. We, I mean, we certainly didn't set out to make a feminist show. <laughs> the the show, the themes of the show, and the embodiment of Tat with all these characters made you know made the theme. We, re- we realized the, the power of, of the themes that we were playing with, um, but to land them is difficult and to commit to them takes uh, really good writers and it takes um, full commitment from Tetian. I, I, I think... I, I, listen, I, I just think that we, we... Amidst all the kind of... The, the absurdity of the premise... I think what was important for us was to kind of create uh, characters and, and situations that people can kind of identify with and, and believe in. Because I think that for uh, genre television, which we kind of are making, uh, more or less, uh, it, it, to me all these weird, uh, like ab- absurd premises go down and, uh, so much better when you can believe in the characters and when you can invest in the characters and... and um, and and that was just a really important aspect. We we didn't want to make a cartoon. We you know much as you can kind of hang the soccer mom label on Allison. There's so many other layers to her, and the characters are very deep and complex. And the and the story is just entertaining, right? It's just a big one big puzzle cube. And um, I, I think we're we're surrounded by so many different people in in our lives that we just wanted to kind of you know it's a it's a story about identity. And uh, sort of, you know, uh, celebrating our, our similarities and our differences. So that's very nice. On that note, um, one of the scenes that I loved, especially episode five, uh, Rachel and Paul's sex scene, um, was a great reversal of gender norms. Obviously, for her, you know, she owned it, and him, I guess, and uh, and for him, it was probably, you know coerced if not completely non-consensual can you talk a little bit about developing that storyline deciding to go that way with those two because it was just such a fascinating 
scene and dynamic between them. I think it's interesting watching Paul sort of caught in this situation and trying to be in control of the situation. Ultimately, I think, you know, uh, Paul is, I mean, Rachel is, she's aggressive, but she's still attractive. And I, I think that that's, uh, it's interesting watching him struggle with, like, kind of desire and yet being kind of controlled. It's a, it was a, it was an interesting uh, uh, encounter to map out for the director, for Tat, and for Dylan, you know. Um, and, and ultimately, because it's becoming more clear in this episode, but you don't, you don't really know Paul's agenda. You don't know what's, what's beneath it. So ultimately, it is consensual. He has to go there. Yeah. Um, he, will, he wants to go there, and he needs to go there. Ultimately, it's, it is consensual. It's just kinky. It is kinky, but I think that's good because women on TV so often aren't allowed to kind of own their sexuality and you don't really see that on TV these days. So I think that that's great that you guys are so willing to kind of portray the spectrum of, you know, desire, really. Um, As you said, we don't really know Paul's agenda and he was AWOL this week, conveniently. Uh, What can you preview about what's coming up for him and uh, this ghost? Nothing. I had to try. <laughs> That's fair. Um, you left Kasima in an awful state, and if she dies, then we're all going to be really, really mad at you, I think, because she's amazing. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, Kasima and Delphine's uh, I Love Yous and uh, the wonderful um, weird drug trip that they took today? Why did you decide to go that route for, uh, for their I Love Yous, and uh, can you talk about developing that scene? Uh, well, it's paying off a promise from season one, which which we liked, um, and you know we, even though it's there's a lot of debate about it and it's not always apparent, there is true love between these two characters. I think there's manipulation, there's all the other agendas, there's there's the the the, the secrets and lies and the things they keep from one another, but ultimately. Uh, they they do love one another. So to tell someone, yeah, yeah, I love you, but I'll wreck you. <laughs> um, it's, it's honest. Uh, yeah, it's it's honest, and I, and uh, Kasima is, you know, she's um, she's a super honest and uh, um, open person who's been forced to swim with sharks. So it's kind of a it's kind of a way for her to, uh, you know, to admit admit her heart and yet control maintain control over her biology, her future, um, uh, her sisters, uh, keep her sisters safe. Very good. Um, was I the only one who got chills over Kira reading uh, Ethan's notes at the end? There? That was... Uh, uh, Kira's kind of been, you know, she's a smart cookie, obviously, but she's been kind of a, a passive participant so far. Will we see her maybe a little more active in some way. Uh, can you tease a little bit about the development of uh, that final scene? I, I think that, uh, you know... <laughs> Without giving I nothing away. I think it's, you know, obviously the, the biology behind this and Kira uh, being the only offspring of a clone is, you know, I don't have to say that, that you know, it's obviously an important part of our storytelling. And... Um, and that Duncan has sort of chosen to 
leave this book in her possession is just it's an interesting place to kind of head into the, our last two our last two episodes of the season um on a shallow note i really like cal um yeah i can't get a read on him right now but i guess that's by design he's very uh mysterious but um can you talk about uh casting him and uh well, um, Miguel is a, a, a really cool actor who we had seen, we sort of had our eyes on for a little while, and, and uh, he, I mean, we were just lucky. We were fortunate that we managed to get, he's a busy guy, right? He was, uh, and, a little bit. Uh, and it was, was kind of, you know, for us, it was really cool because, you know, we were watching, watching him on Game of Thrones and then and watching him on our show, and, uh, and uh, he, he's just, uh, you know, it. It's nice having a character that you can kind of feel like you can trust somewhat on this show, anyway. Uh, and um, and he's you know he's down to earth and and uh, and working with him is is great. It's uh, you're you know you're gonna see more of him. We got kind of a little uh, sneak peek of uh, Marion Bowles um, in the last episode, and I think Delphine was right that Leaky is probably the lesser of many. Evils. Did you have kind of any hesitation about killing Leaky, or was that always like he's got to go? Of course, we have hesitations. We we know he's amazing. John's known Matt for a long long time. He's a he's he's a really you know he's a really good good actor. Um, uh, and yeah, we had a lot of we had we had a hard time around it, but we also knew that it was going to happen. I think we knew in the first season. And uh, you know that that dreaded phone call to Matt. He took it like a pro, and I don't think it, it's, it wasn't a huge surprise. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting though. Can I say one of thing? Course. Is that uh, we we so we kind of knew that we were going to kill him, and it, it was just like okay, so how are we going to do it? And uh, you know when we were sort of mapping out season two, um, Graham goes, I think Donnie should kill him, <laughs> and I was like. Okay, come on. I think we're stretching the the, uh, the you know the bounds of reality here. Like, uh, and we all thought it was too silly. Uh, well, I did at first, and then and so we went about every other possible way that we could kill him, and then wound up coming back to Donnie. <laughs> and so it's this sort of it. But and and what really kind of sold it for me, and for, I think for everyone, was this sort of crazy sort of homage to Pulp Fiction. This sort of, you know. Sudden, shocking, horrifying, hilarious death, and uh, and Matt loved that. Like, if you got to go out in a series somehow, he was he was excited, and I was there that night. It was kind of sad to see him go, I, I admit, uh, and he was sad to go. And he's such a great actor. And uh, but uh, yeah, that was it was interesting because that was his last night of shooting. It was like really late at night. All right, let's blow Leaky's head off. <laughs> go out with a bang, literally. My, my my favorite my favorite part of that is the the squeak on his head on the glass with my, <laughs> the sound the sound design guys like put this awesome squeak on the window it's, it's great. and it kind of redeemed Donnie too and I mean he and Allison got to bond over killing people so yeah. I, yeah. what more do you want from a marriage really uh, we're going to throw it over, over to you guys because I'm sure you have a ton of questions uh, if you just raise your hand and it'll be like school and we'll just call on you hope that we can Uh, yeah, yeah it, it, all, always. Um, 
we, we really had the Helena Sarah uh, twin sister arc kind of locked in in season one. We we knew that, that that gunshot at the end of season one wasn't the last time we were going to see her, and we had the we knew the mirror twin thing. We had that in our pocket pretty 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 early in the process, and we're building towards it. Unfortunately, unfortunately we had to uh, we spent a bunch of time lying our faces off. <laughs> Just lying, lying, and lying. Like, and it started at Comic Con last year, where we got asked about Helena. It was like, and no one had asked us that yet, and we actually hadn't had a, dis- a discussion about it. And suddenly, it was like, uh, she's dead. She's dead. She's dead. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, like when you tell a lie, the more you tell it, the better you get at it. You know. And so we just got pretty good at lying. Good question. She's probably going to, too, isn't she? You just shoot it. I don't know. You just shoot it, and you just go, everyone sort of, you know, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) You guys all know how television is made. I'm hoping the audience will forgive us for the girl growing between seasons. Sure. Uh, How do you do that, Graham? Well, <laughs> first of all, you need six super smart writers. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't start shooting now until the middle of September, and I started the writers two weeks ago. So we give ourselves a lot of lead time. We try and figure out the entire season. Allison writes herself. <laughs> we usually can go, like the first day, John and I had we'd spend a few days uh, sort of hiding and figuring out what we wanted to do uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and I think within an hour we were like, okay, check, that's Allison. I think we knew Allison actually like <laughs> on, uh, you know, the beginning of season two. We started like riffing on crazy ideas and Allison just... Right. Yeah. So we can kind of put Allison aside. Um, and then uh, and then it's really trying to figure out Sarah's arc through the season because she's the one that follow, we follow the mystery and that's the A story of the season so we have to have to start with Sarah and she's always the hardest and that takes the intricacies of the plot um, you know falls on Sarah and then once we've got a plot down everybody needs to sort of take a step back and get back to the characters now okay that's the plot but what would Sarah actually do what, what's you know that how do, how do the characters react in action rather than just service this plot that we've got going. Um, and then, you know, we, so we try and look at those three sisters and what's their relationship for the season? What's their, you know, or, or the, yeah. Um, and then we balance, we'll balance Allison and Kasima around Sarah. Um, and, and try and figure out how, say, Allison's story intersects with Sarah's story, you know, because it's always good when the stories are kind of coming together and, and then they go off, they diverge for a little while and kind of connect again. And it's nice to see, you know, everyone kind of working, coming together through, even though the storylines may feel sort of individual, 
it's nice to see them kind of converge. You know, it's always that's a sort of a feeling of you go, yeah, yeah and that, everyone gets excited. And that that happens throughout. That happens in the very last stages of, of script when you're figuring out, okay, well, these storylines may not be, you know, thematically connected or whatever, but if one scene can throw to another visually, we'll find that in editing. We'll find it. Uh, in the late stages of writing, we'll find it in, in the shooting, and that's that's the, the process of actually making those story cohesive is very detail-oriented at the end. Hi. much time has passed? Three seasons? <laughs> no. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's TV time and we're, the f- we're really fast-paced. Um, we find it hard to take breaks of time. It's not like, it doesn't feel like a show that you can start one episode and it's two months later and Sarah's sitting on a beach. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is it a month or two? <laughs> Uh, we we do know we've got it, you know we do have it mapped down somewhere, um, and of course as we're doing it we break down everything day by day. So each season we know how much actual time is passing. Um, I don't know offhand but, exactly, but you know it's not a lot of time. Yeah. It's it's one of those things too where you know like we're hoping like people forgive us for Kira growing. We're hoping you'll forgive us for our Toronto seasons as well, <laughs> as we like one, end one episode in the dead of winter and start the next one and there's leaves on the trees, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, anyway. No. no. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, my personal favorite is Allison. Kind of, I, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, she kind of is uh, sort of, for me anyway, is sort of based on my sister. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I kind of, I'm the one who grew up in the suburbs and, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, I identify a lot with that situation, I guess. Um, and, I mean, my favorite clone is Cosima, and I know that's because she's kind of—I'm—I'm from Vancouver, and she's kind of West Coast, and I like her vibe and her her mind, and she's kind of a stoner. <laughs> um, I, and I just—I really enjoy writing her. Uh, she's challenging to write, but I don't. She's not a character you see very often on TV. You don't see. Um, and I'm not talking about. Um, sexuality at, at all. I'm talking about just a hippie. It's like hippies, people make fun of hippies. Hippies are smart and they're, got, and they're the people with the, their hearts right. And, and I don't know why they get such a bad rap on TV, you know. And then they're not, they're, they're multifaceted too. Like she's a hippie geek and it makes sense, right? Yeah, she's definitely a geek in this episode. But I also like Sarah. Like I have to get, get behind Sarah. I love her attitude and I like that she just punches people when she gets in the corner. How much do y'all know about 
pretty clear. We're pretty clear. I mean, you know, listen, we, we, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not, sh- I don't know that I want to say exactly how many seasons we're working towards, but we are working towards a kind of an end destination and, and have had many, many discussions about not just season three, but beyond and how the, how, because you have to, you kind of have to know where it's all going. Otherwise, you know, uh, we're not just sort of randomly figuring it out as we go. There is a kind of, there is a, uh, there is a kind of an organic process though to it. Like even in knowing where you're going, it's it's interesting, uh, certainly from a writing point of view, um, that we can kind of uh, we can kind of you know do this a little bit you know like there's uh, um, you know for example there's a, a, a character uh, that we a new character of Mark that we introduced this season who is part of the Prolethians and uh, you know he should, the, the plan was that he was going to die in episode six. And um, and he showed up, and Ari is just such a cool, interesting, weird actor that uh, we were like, we can't kill him. We got to keep him, right? And so there's things like that that you find along the way. But ultimately, we uh, ultimately we know where we're going, and we have confidence uh, in that. It's a complicated process getting there, but but we we definitely are are driving towards uh, the end. Yeah. Hey, nice. Um, three, two, four, B, two, one. Three, two, four, B, two, one. Um, uh, I don't, you know, I guess they could. Um, I, we've had some talk about about getting into discovering the other clones tag numbers and whether they would all mean something together uh, but individually um, maybe it's, uh, uh, it's a puzzle it and see what, see what you come up with and, <laughs> and that can become canon it'll be great <laughs> Was pretty. Uh, it was pretty unbelievable. Uh, I, I, you know, we were just kind of honestly at the beginning. We were just wanted to make a really cool show that we thought was, uh, you know, we had hoped what people were going to think was cool. Also, really, that's all it was. We wanted to make something that was really exciting that we hadn't seen before. That we were, um, and we were terrified and and uh, excited at the same time. And the, the 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 critical response and the fan response was overwhelming. Really. Was uh, and it kind of caught us off guard. It really did. Uh, I don't. I, you know, we kind of you hope for good reviews and you hope that people will enjoy it, but it just kind of took on this life of its own. You know, and we really sort of saw that last year at Comic Con. Like even after uh, just only airing one season, you know, and just you know people that got so excited about it and and were so into the pre- the whole crazy premise of it and 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 uh you know we're lucky that honestly that we that we have tat as well you know it's it's kind of um we just kind of i mean we're just we feel very grateful and very very 
very uh, fortunate to be on this journey with all you guys and, and, uh, and be having a, a show that, that has been embraced, uh, been so embraced by critics and fans. It's, it's amazing. It's been, a, it's been a, 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 a truly amazing experience, I have to say. Yeah, it's um, especially the fan engagement um, uh, is is really rewarding, and it's it's not in our TV careers. It's nothing that we've uh, been able to experience before. It's a real that's a re- that's a real gift, um, and so much of the fans and the critics and the early going were, were responsible for the for the buzz around the show building even more. Um, and now I was just. Uh, uh, our science consultant is the real Kasima, Kasima Herter, and she's up right now. Uh, was working with uh, the writers this week, and she told us that uh, she was at a conference, and there were two academic papers on Orphan Black, <laughs> which is just that is like th- that's a whole other weird thing. That's, um, but the fact that it uh, um, that it's uh, s- uh, stimulated discussion around uh, ethics and medical ethics and science that's you know that's um it's pretty uh, pretty rewarding and cool to have to have spawned a conversation and that's um you know just wanting to have a conversation is something that the real Kasima says a lot and i think uh that the fact that the show does have this uh a conversation around it is is a really rewarding thing so what we call the uh when we were in film school we called it the coffee question which is we loved we loved watching movies and tv where you get out of it and you you got to go and have a coffee and talk about it so uh we we try we you know it's part of the part of what we try and try and do and caffeine is very addictive <laughs> as it turns out Um, well, that's, it was, it all started with the opening scene uh, on the train platform with Sarah and Beth. John pitched me that idea in 2001. Here's, here's an opening scene, uh, and we had nothing else. Yeah, we didn't know it was clones. We, we, had no, we didn't know it was clones. We just were like, who was that other person on the platform? Was that a twin sister? Was that, that's just... It's That's a, parallel, a great opening, a parallel universe. John. You bastard! Now I can't. Now we can't let go of it. Um, and so we pursued that from a story point of view, and then, then we are. You know, we wanted to do something exciting and something genre. So it it became clones. And as we researched the clones, uh, or cloning, all of the ethics around it, and we engaged with Casima um, Herter, um, we realized that clones had got a short shift. And then, and then again, I think sort of like I said, it becomes about mining theme. It becomes about constantly turning the premise over, turning the characters over, and and seeing what it's really about. That's when we just, you know, we realize, you know, and and the female writers in the room especially are like, 
do you dudes even know what you're doing here? Yeah. I mean, but, but it's true. Like, in the beginning, it was really, we just wanted to make a really exciting, fast, mystery thriller that was kind of uh, sort of uh, sci-fi, was a kind of a genre sort of thing. And we got really excited about the idea of one actor playing a whole bunch of different characters. Um, and that was kind of, that was just sort of how it began. And then, you know, it, as Graham says, you, you know, the more you go, the deeper you go into it, the more these themes sort of start to emerge and the more you embrace them and the more they kind of become the fabric of the show. And, and now, I mean, we feel a, a responsibility to it um, and a responsibility to uh, keep pushing it with, with characters like Tony, pushing it with all due respect um, and, uh, and with, you know, keeping it, keeping it on our themes and keeping it in the premise of our show. But at the same time, trying to kind of, you know, when people are expecting something from us, uh, we like to go the other way. You know, we constantly like to pull the rug out, and this is a big rabbit hole mystery. And we don't like to do, we like to constantly kind of raise the bar on ourselves and just kind of go, okay, yeah, that's too obvious. This has been done. Let's do something that people haven't seen before, and that is constantly the fuel in the in the writers' room and between us. And that's so that's kind of that's just we we're just constantly trying to kind of I guess come up with things that we haven't seen before and that we want to see. We want to challenge ourselves. Did that answer the question? Yeah, sort of. Okay, good. Thank you guys so much for, uh, for coming out. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now leaving Nerdist.com.